the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Licardo. Uh, and we have a special guest today. Yes, this is so exciting. It's our first guest on the podcast. Introduce him, John. Uh, this is Harrison Greenbaum. I don't know how to introduce a guest like on a podcast where there's not like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Harrison Greenbaum. You've that was seen great. Him on uh, America's Got Talent. America's is that Got Talent. Right? Last That's true. Last I, I've been eliminated from many a reality <laughs> television show. Um, this is one of our banked episodes, and you were saying that we shouldn't talk about isn't it great that it's the specific day but i think it's so great that it's december 7th 1941 yeah um, <laughs> the war's looking great yeah we're doing great uh, something bad happened today right right, right. i didn't get I, the I, I, I didn't finish reading the article but it yeah. sounds like something important i've been planning happened. a vacation like a tropical one is right. there any places i shouldn't go <laughs> yeah uh harrison you're in town for, to perform at the magic castle yes yeah uh got a week at the castle in early part like, this is my sixth time at the castle wow but my first time doing the early shift so that's been really interesting um and what is there do you feel a difference absolutely well the, there's a flow to the castle so in late night um they're definitely a lot drunker uh, um, yeah. and the last show is always the show where you're wondering whether or not it's going to be a full house mm-hmm. whereas in the parlor it's your middle show your 8 15 because everybody else is in the right that like there's no show that feeds into that like exactly the other se- like the other five right? yeah and the palace is right next to you and it sucks up like 175 people um, and that's and so the, and it's right after the dinner seating. So mm-hmm. that that's been an interesting thing. But it's it's nice. Like it's cool to actually finish the shit the three shows and then have time to enjoy the castle. Right. When I did oh, yeah. last year, I did late close up, and that was the first time I'd done late. Um, and so what someone had said to me was, the worst part isn't necessarily the drunk people. It's the fact that you maybe bring some guests, some friends, or these people to come see your show, and then you can't spend any time with them afterwards because then the castle closes. Exactly. You really, you know, so it's like I, all of the friends or people I knew that came and saw me that week, I would like quickly say goodbye to them in between shows, and I'd have to go back and reset. Um, how yeah, do you, uh, so sorry you couldn't hang out with your friends at work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was very harrowing. Um, <laughs> I'm very brave. Um, I before we go on, I want to recommend people listen to, and John John doesn't like this, but to recommend to listen to a different podcast. How dare uh, you? Which is let's talk about sets, which is about stand up, because Harrison is in two parts. Right, you have a two. That episode. was so fun. That was actually, you know what? I will break the rule. That was a great. Uh, in fact, like I listened to it. Uh, it was right around the time we talked about you coming on this and then i listened to it i'm like fuck i, I wanted to talk about all of those things <laughs> well i yeah also because i was kind of like we don't necessarily need to go through all of that right we don't go through all that again mm-hmm. but it's uh, also great because he's jeff mcbride and so i felt like this incredible bridging between yes. jeff mcbride comedian and jeff mcbride the magician right. wait is it the same guy no different man. okay that's why there's two jeff mcbride yeah. well, apparently there's even a third jeff there's a third jeff mcbride i found out i was in kazakhstan with uh the illusionist uh-huh. which Sounds like a joke, but was very real and very weird. Um, but yeah, my buddy uh, Mark Kalin was talking about how there's another magician who is arguing with Jeff McBride, and he's very conservative, he's very Trumpy, and I was like, that doesn't sound like any Jeff McBride that I know. <laughs> and it turns out there's a third Jeff McBride who's a very conservative dude that some magicians have accidentally friended instead of either of the real Jeff McBrides. <laughs> and so some of these magicians are like arguing. So there's this guy in the middle of the country who loves Trump and hates magicians because all these liberal magicians keep commenting and arguing with him and he has no idea why um turns out they're all the same person right yeah. <laughs> uh, there's some weird catfish scheme but he doesn't change his name <laughs> that would be amazing so harrison i have a uh, stand-up question for you yeah um because i and this is like a joke uh like ac- the theory question for you basically we're just gonna pitch you our jokes and you're gonna fix them and that'll be no 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 <laughs> this is a this is a question about sort of comic stand-up etiquette and also like because so how often do you so if you listen to let's talk about sets you talk about um the cucumber the i'm not gay is that is it about cucumber where they're like you like cucumber yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay uh how often, are you still doing that by the way that bit yeah uh yeah 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 um and is uh, on tv they cut a line from the they did where and it was interesting is this last comic standing uh, uh, this is AGT. Ta- yeah AGT. yeah they cut it to make it a little bit more gray yeah, I thought that was an interesting thought. What did you think about that? I knew I kind of figured I I kind of realized what they were doing. Yeah, but yeah, it it's always it's always weird when they edit jokes. Like it's that weird thing where it's like I when I work on a joke, I work on it for years, and it's yeah. like every every word and line and pause is like really really important because I'm cutting that thing down to the bare minimum. Like, what's the least I can say to get everything I need to in and hit that punchline? Yeah. So when they cut parts out of it, it's it it. It's like taking a painting and like slicing the corner off of it. Right. Like you still can get a really pretty painting, but like it's definitely missing the corner. Yeah. 
Um, and so when that, when that happened, I was like, oh, that's not that puts it a, a little bit more gray than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so, oh, just for context, what what did they edit out? I think they, I, I go, I'm not gay, but and I think they, I think they, that's they the part cut that they out cut the, out. I'm not gay. That's part. the part where I say I'm, I explicitly <clears throat> just say it instead of oh. being like that sort of is he isn't he yeah. kind of thing. Oh, okay. And, but they, they edited it into all of his other jokes. That was weird. Right. Just in the middle <laughs> right. of other just setups. Just they like, wanted it to be a lot more just like gray. Like maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Right. I suppose if it, if I explicitly say it, then it's a little bit harder for from, anybody from to have that interpretation. My understanding, I, I definitely. I'm sure it's true with any reality show, but I've heard with America's Got Talent, they definitely love trying to create images for people. I remember when David and Lehman were on, they kept trying to push sort of like a like gay camaraderie kind of thing. Like, what if you rode out like on a tandem bike and like stuff like that? And they're always sort of pushing like an image. <laughs> that kind of wants yeah, to- at least they didn't make you ride a tandem bike by yourself. <laughs> oh my God. When I was filming the first episode of AGT, the first one, they had a girl in a cat costume and she was a singer, but she was in this like very tight, like Catwoman-esque costume. And uh, I saw her like licking up a bowl of milk, and I was like, "Oh no! Like, <laughs> don't say yes to that, please! Right. Don't do this." Yeah. And she was just like licking milk out of a bowl and being like a cat, and I was like, "This is this is bad news bears!" Like, right? So, so that that's my that's always in my brain is like never be the like try to avoid licking milk out of a bowl if you can because they'll they'll use that shot. Right, uh, uh, it's Hollywood, so you cut, can't avoid that. Yeah, cut to uh, if you look up Harrison Greenbaum on AGT, you'll see him licking milk out of a bowl. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yours is very tasteful though. Um, yeah, they did a good job. Thank so, God. Here, this is my question because that you you talked about that on Let's Talk About Sets, and I was listening to that podcast and i was thinking a lot about that bit so uh, so that's the whole bit right in your routine like yeah. um I, i'm paraphrasing it badly but it's basically like if you you wouldn't go somewhere and say like i don't like cucumber and then they tell you that you do or not right, right? exactly so this is my thought and i thought of a different bit that i was either like harrison should either like do this part too or is there a way for me to do it because i talked about it at an open mic just because it was in my head because i was thinking about like the only difference is is that the difference between your metaphor and real life is that there aren't like secret clubs that people go to, to like eat cucumbers. <laughs> you know, people don't say like, Oh, I don't like cucumber. And then they have an app that shows them where the nearest person that likes to eat cucumber is as well. That's a great tag. Um, it's like afterwards I'm like, I do have this app called cucumber. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of feel like without eat- the E it's just cucumber. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and I kind of feel like, Either you should take that or like, I just, cause that's uh, a lot of times when I watch stand up, I'll think about like, oh, that's an interesting point, but this is my react. My, I'm just my lame, not layman, but like my audience member brain mm-hmm. is thinking like, oh yeah, but what about, this is the thing that gay people do, which is they, they don't say whether they like cucumber or not because they don't feel comfortable saying it so that they hide that part of themselves right. or whatever. Um, but then I was like, well, maybe he doesn't even do it anymore in his act or cause I don't know how often people like retire stuff once they've been seen sure. on TV or anything like that. Um, but Which it's is, also by the way, an interesting magic thing of like in terms of differences between standup and magic oh, yeah. is we'll that a standup will retire like, okay, I did my special. That's my hour of material. And then they right. write the next hour and it feels like most magicians have their hour and then they die with it. Yeah. Like here's my hour or here's my 15 minutes. Some of them have their like, here's my 15 right. minute act. And I will do this for 30 years until I die. And you see magicians that are like, like they pull out like rotary fro- phones as props. Like, isn't this, look at, look at my phone. And yeah. Like yeah. The artifacts dated. of when they cr- came up with it, where they're right. like, they had that voicemail joke that they can't get rid of. Like it was out of like, an answering machine right. <laughs> originally. Yeah. There was a guy at the palace, uh, who did a, like a Thelma and Louise joke. Oh no! Like last year, <laughs> like referencing the movie. Yes. Oh God! And I was like, and the person I was with was like, "What is Gotta that?" Update it. Got to make it for Grace and Frankie. Uh, yeah. No, they couldn't. He couldn't. In this context, he would not be able to update it. It was a. It was a unpleasant part of this act. Okay. My favorite like artifact where you that he immediately dated his joke was the guy looked like Mario from Super Mario Brothers, and he goes, "I know I look like the guy from the Donkey Kong arcade game." What? Because the joke is so old, it predates actual Mario. Like, he was just the character in that Donkey Kong. Yeah. Because that's where Mario debuted. But if you're making a joke about Mario, where do you live that you haven't heard that Mario became the number one video game of all time? Crazy. <laughs> and maybe it's it wasn't. It wasn't hitting with his audience. They were just like, we know Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was you such lost a, us in 85. It was the weirdest thing. I was just like, this is... This is like, uh, should be in a museum. Like, it's like yeah. a weird video game time capsule. And then he updates it and it's like, I look like the guy from Donkey Kong Jr. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. I do want to get to comedy in magic because I have 
so many questions for you, especially that you represent such a clear and obvious combination of the two, uh, more so than I think most quote comedy magicians tend to. Um, but specifically to that point about com- uh, just doing stand up, what is the etiquette when it comes to like if if someone thinks of a tag that it's sort of a different. Like, if they're inspired by your bit and they have sort of a different tag that they kind of build in their well, own uh, and there, This is interesting because it seems very different than the etiquette around magic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's so different. Because so this is what I would come to you. I would say, like, that bit made me think of this extra part of it. It's like, you could totally have that. Or there is a the, the basic concept of, like, gay people not, not being able to be true about themselves and, like, having, like, secret clubs and stuff. That's also kind of like, I would like to talk about it, but I don't want to feel like I'm stealing from your bit so i would think of a different front way to get into it basically but it's funny how magicians are just kind of like oh i like i'm just gonna do that exact same thing (laughs) yeah i mean that's why i try i've actually tried to wean myself off of not watching as much stand-up because i think it gets in my head yeah Mm -hmm. um usually when like because i'll i'll sit down because like in the magic world we're always jamming and so i've always been like let's get a bunch of comedians together and like work on jokes and so the clear rule we had to make was whoever comes up with the premise keeps the joke so like because you can come up with the premise and then the other comic comes with it, a great punchline yeah and we were always like whoever came up with the premise keeps all the punchlines and then we move on to the next premise yeah because sometimes it is the premise that is the hardest thing but like so for that like i think that was a great tag i'd love to try that cucumber tag yeah in try there. it um but there's definitely an angle where like obviously the cucumber i wouldn't do the cucumber metaphor and i'm only going to talk about cucumbers but there's that the, idea, actually like, the cucumber part's the only part i want to take yeah. is that cool <laughs> that'd be the cucumber. magic cucumber <laughs> <laughs> chris cucumber grace no the yeah. magic version would be like oh he does it with cucumber but my joke is zucchini like that would be the magic yeah. version <laughs> of doing it. and you're like wait uh, what no but i think there's i think the that that sort of base idea of keep people keeping it secret there's uh there is an amazing joke for you yeah, there yeah. that you should absolutely be doing yeah but please take the cucumber tag if you want to how, how and also often? i'll have to build the actual app so that people right. understand the reference you're making yes of course cucumber, <laughs> cucumber. <laughs> right. that's the other magic thing is when you write a joke five years later you've developed an app you had to like yeah. build there's so many g- little gags in my thing like my snuggie lights up for at most 15 seconds in my act and i have spent I countless hours to engineer that right. thing to work. And I've gone through four different versions. It's taken several years for a gag that is at most 15 seconds. One night we were going to meet us like two years ago. We were going to meet up at the castle like early before your show. And you put text me. You're like, I have to push it back. I need to solder something in my snuggie. <laughs> yeah. No, I, the, the battery thing broke and right. I had to take an Uber ride to a fries all the way. Like, I don't even know Here? where it was in universal city. Yeah. Oh, buy all these extra components and then I was like rebuilding it on the floor of the parlor like 15 minutes before they let the audience Did in. you know how to solder stuff before? I had to teach myself for that that joke. That's one of those things I've been interested in like learning how I don't know is it is it's it fun? Really fun. It's oh, really, okay, cool. really fun. Because I just bought a 3D printer. Whoa. Which is very fun. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and you printed like the most eclectic like there's a little catapult and we're like yeah this is fun. I, I just, printed a little well you can go like get yeah, you can like download like things. Already. Um, like, catapult some napkins around your living room it was very nice. Yeah. I w- one thing I was thinking about in stand up is you don't really have the culture of like lectures and master classes. Right. The kind culture of, thing. of like sharing. Or conventions. People don't go like I'm going to a stand up convention. Right. Yeah. The, the, it's a bunch the, of stand ups hanging out. The culture of teaching and like sharing that is is, is uh different i think partly because with stand-up and correct me if i'm wrong so much of the the, the culture of it is you, you you get good by doing it on yeah i mean everybody's basically like oh you want to just fucking show up and just go grind basically right. Right. Uh, you don't quite have that with magic because everyone knows there's less opportunities to do that yeah like, and it feels like magic you why. can split into two parts like there's the technique where like i'm going to learn how to do a slight and i want to teach you guys this new slight that i learned yeah and then there's the act that uses the slight but is sort of separate yeah so you can go and learn all this technique this library of stuff with stand-up it's kind of like once you have once you know how to write a joke and you know all the basic structures it's about trying to use all that technique that basic technique and create your own act so right. there's very little i think comedians have a lot don't have enough It'd be very expensive. I think there's like a lot less money in the comedy community for yeah. people to just like go out on this vacation and learn about stand up. Sure, that's why there's all those com- competitions. Like those competitions, I think are the closest thing they have, mm-hmm. which is in many ways the opposite. But like those like stand up competitions where you fly yourself out to a city and like there's 40 comics all competing for a trophy. Yeah. So at least you're hanging out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The I think there's also not conventions because there's not enough to sell in the stand up. Right. What would you? Yeah. You can't sell anything. Yeah. You could sell. Uh, there's no gimmicks equivalent. No, there's no like. There's no toys. I yeah. mean, I don't know where my foam microphone is. Right, there's John prom was- comics. <laughs> there's, you, can, you, you can sell Caratops whole act. Yeah, yeah. There's ventriloquism conventions. 
I'm sure. Yeah. I think you guys have seen a lot more bad magic than I have. Because I would say 85% to 90% of the magic I've seen has been at the castle. Mm-hmm. And so I think... I, that I thought is, you were going to say 85 to 90% has been bad. And I was going to be like, oh, yeah, that's no. about accurate. <laughs> no, I, I think that only seeing stuff at the castle has insulated me a little bit from from that. Sure, but we've seen some bad magic at the castle together. I have, and, yeah. And we'll continue to do so. Yeah. But even the... I mean, I haven't seen anybody that I would thought technically wasn't... Well, I have actually. Well, well, that's I think the the, the kind of bad magic we've seen has been the kind of magic where the person was bad, like the person was a bad person, what? and uh, afterward they saw them beat a child. Yeah, and uh, I thought this of, is not good magic, right? <laughs> but we've seen a lot of people that had very dated jokes that had some kind of like offensive, yeah. like just boring racial material. Yeah, and there was one guy who basically every person that came up from the audience, he was like, "Where are you from?" And they're like, uh, they're like Egypt, Egypt, yeah. uh, Egypt, land of the you know ah, the pyramids, the, the pyramids and the Sphinx, and like in a weird, <laughs> yeah, that's so weird, like, you know. Oh, and then I saw him again recently. Oh, you uh, did? Yes, I did. And there were a couple. There were still a couple in there that I went, oh nope. And one of them was uh, he did something quickly with math, and he's like, I'm good at math. I'm fast. I'm not you know East Asian fast, but I'm fast. And I was like, okay. East yeah. Asian is very specific. But why? It's weird why to exclude the South? Races. South Asians yeah. are good at math uh, too. Yeah. <laughs> And then another one was... I like that character, the guy who's weirdly <laughs> specific with his racism. Yeah. Like, he's not racist against African Americans, but just like, that's a Nigerian thing. And you're like, what? Yeah. Why are you splitting Which hairs? kind of what it was. I'm not like from East Compton. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but oh, wait, I have to tell you something that happened last night okay. at the stand-up show that I did. Oh, right. You messed up a trick? Well, so here's what you happened. You did a trick at a stand-up show. Yeah, so... That's already, like, how, is, how has that been... How have you been received? Oh, no, this is the first time it's ever been done. And maybe the last. Okay, uh, interesting. Uh, I've talked about this. I don't really care to become a performing magician. I'm interested in like the almost everything except the actual like performance part. Which is another difference, by the way, is you can't yeah. just be like, I only want to be like a stand-up. Like, I'm not into it for the performance for stand-up. Yeah, yeah. Stand-up, if you're doing stand-up, it's because you want to do stand-up. Magic, there is like that. There's That's like the cre- there's there's creators and there's, there's yeah. hobbyists. Yeah. Oh, I'm totally a hobbyist for sure. But like, so those people can come to a convention. Yeah, right. Stand ups, you're doing it because it's your job. In fact, I would probably argue that it's it's possible that the magic industry is financially mostly driven by hobbyists. Like the amount of sales, sales. yeah, mostly Um, very old white men who are trying to entertain their grandkids. Yeah, based on the convention. The demographic? Yeah, the um, demographic. So I was going to this uh, stand-up show that my friend Rob Stern hosts here in LA, and he texted me during the day, and he was like, oh, by the way, you're going to go up last, and you're going to do 20 minutes, because our friend Eric had to cancel. Okay. And I haven't been doing stand-up like... I've been doing it a little regularly, but actually in the last month, I have not been on the grind that much. Okay. So in my head, I was like, I haven't done 20 minutes in a while, and I've been trying to work on like new stuff. So it's not like I have brought... 15 minutes from what I did five years ago, I've been like writing new stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm like, I don't think I right now have like 20 minutes of new stuff. Um, so he's like, Oh, so, and we're going to call you the headliner. <laughs> oh, no. Nice. No pressure. Like, cool. So, and weirdly I had like two auditions yesterday and I was, I'm also a lazy person. So I la- actually didn't do any prep for the show. Right? <laughs> uh, which and, is harder when you're trying to do magic. With stand-up, you could kind of yeah. get away with it, but with magic, well, so, there's like things that need to be loaded and things that need right. to be So I was like, you know what? I, I was sitting there waiting to go up, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I have some things I'll talk about. And it actually went really well. But in my mind, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to try this Danny DRT's trick at the end of this. Because <laughs> uh, it's more time than I... And it'll fill in a little a few minutes. And also, if it goes well, it's a great ending to the whole show. Okay. So I, when I got up there, I was like, hey, can you, can you light me with five minutes left? Because I want to try something at the end. So I do the stand-up part. Stand-up part goes great. And then they're like, oh, you got five minutes left. Okay, cool. I want to try this trick. And it's a, a, it's this trick called Totally Hands Off that Danny Ortiz is selling on Vanishing right now. And I modified it. Is that the ripped one where everybody has No, this stuff? is just... Um, his is four volunteers and it's any card at any number. Oh, nice. With all, there's a little bit of math that you have to do in your head. Um, and I've reduced it to three people because I think getting four volunteers is like very cumbersome. Right. Um, I hate bringing up more than one. I've seen people yeah. bring 30 people on stage or, and it's like the yeah. craziest. The idea of bringing that many people on stage just seems ludicrous. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, it's down to three people and the method I'm using is actually a little different from his. 
Um, and last night I learned why his is more reliable. <laughs> so mine is basically like, I know a card's at a certain place and then I've got to do a couple of things to get it to a certain number that they name. And first thing I realized, cause this is really my first time doing magic in any performance situation. And it's hilarious because my nervousness and heart rate for the stand up part where I was not prepared, didn't really know what I was going to talk about was at like a two in terms of how stressed I was. And then when the magic part came, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) but I think, I think it is like the difference between a stand up bomb and a magic bomb. Like, yeah, if you mess up a joke, it's very, it's pretty easy to recover from. Yeah. If you spend 10 minutes building up a miracle and then it's not the card that it's supposed to be. Yeah. There is just no recovery. from. Yeah. Well, spoiler, that's what happened. Um, (laughs) So, uh, the, so anyway, I was really nervous for this and basically I have to do these couple things. And there, this is what I realized, not having really done this in this context before. First of all, chops in one industry don't translate to another. So, like, I have a fair amount of stand-up chops. Like, I'm pretty comfortable being up there. And it does, it tr- translates a little bit, but it doesn't, I don't have, this is the main part. I had to do math in my head. The first thing I had to do was count out 17 cards and give them to the first person. And as I was talking to them, I kept losing track of the count. Ah. And I was just like, what's happening? Like, I can't do the basic math that I need to do this trick. And then there's another move later that while I'm talking to these three people, you know, my the numbers are just flying out of my head. And so I'm like barely recovering. And then there's a thing that the spectator has to do that I basically had them stop too early. Wow. Fucked up the whole thing. And so I, I built up this whole thing. At the very end, they turn over the... 16th card this is going to be the seven of diamonds he turns it over it's the five of spades and i was like well that's the end of the show and that was the end of the whole stand-up show and luckily there's enough goodwill with the crowd that they thought it was funny that i had fucked it up well that's the beauty of a comedy act yeah i I built so much stand-up into my thing that like if something goes wrong it can be it can be built into a bit where people are like oh this is what was supposed to happen um so danny duartiz's method has a little bit of margin of error built into it Mm. which would have saved would definitely would have saved me because I was off by like two cards. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um, but also I was like, that's why people fucking keep an invisible deck in their back pocket. Yep. Right. <laughs> 100%. Um, so anyway, I just thought it was, it was a complete and total bomb of a trick. And I was like, oh, I lived through that. That's funny. I've never messed up a, sh- a trick during a show in my life ever, I think. So I <laughs> well, can't relate to that experience. All of mine have gone fine. I mean, I, have, uh, you ever bought, have you ever had, I mean, you probably haven't tried to end a show with something that failed, then you had no out. Oh, no, that's definitely happened. Has yeah. it really? Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, in the palace of the castle. It was unfortunate. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I just had to walk off stage. And then I came back on a bow. I was like part of like a, uh, a group. I came back on a bow later. So there's the, uh, one thing worse than fucking up is going off stage for five minutes knowing you have to come back later <laughs> yeah. to reface the audience. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I always say you have to earn a trick. Like when I do my – I have this magic lecture called You Are All Terrible. And uh, which is that's my great joy is that when people walk into the room for this convention, there's just a big slide that says you are all terrible. Right. Let's uh, <laughs> uh, get into that. But okay, like, go ahead. Yeah. I always say you earn a trick, which is you screw up a trick every single. Po- there's no such mm. thing as a perfect performance of a trick. There's you screwed up the trick in every possible way that when that screw up happens, you know what the out is. Yeah. So like every trick in my show, I have screwed up in every possible mm-hmm. way. And like, it's amazing. Sometimes you're like, OK. There is no other way to screw this trick up. I you find the, one. And then you find a new one. And you're like, how? How did that happen? Like, how did that thing go there? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But then you, the key is to figure, like, literally to do that, like, detective work of, like, where did it go wrong? Right. And if it goes wrong exactly that way, what is the dance to get around it? Yeah. Um. That is why I'm not that interested in being a magic performer. Mm. Because I f- perceive that as a whole nother journey of, like trials and tribulations 100 percent. that i already don't have enough time and energy to put into stand-up you know like right. like i shouldn't be diverting the the grind and dedication that i should be putting into stand-up into this other thing that is like right now more fun but like, <laughs> but you know what i mean like it's like it's it's that's a whole different career that i have a lot of respect for that i don't necessarily feel like going into at this point right. but it does blow my mind that like because there when it comes to stand up everybody knows that it's going to be a grind it's going to be a hustle but like the numbers you see like even the people who perform a lot like there was that thing that went over the castle email list that was like come see this guy he's been doing one show learn from his experience he's been performing for 50 years on average one show a week and that was like the big brag (laughs) and i was like by that math like most comedians have hit that number within three years of like doing stand-up right that's not actually a big number are you a member of the castle i am yeah yeah. are you a what like a remote member out of state okay cool yeah um 
So talking about like getting up and doing like the equivalent of like open mic grind or whatever, uh, John, I didn't realize that at the castle, you can go to the iPad and right. like put your name in. Yeah, can you, you do that too? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's yeah. great. It, that's one of the cool things is like, I, I was actually giving a tour to a, a comic, uh-huh. a friend of mine on a couple oh, of days ago. Mind. And he was just like, Wait, there's a venue where you can just show up and start performing. Like that's the comedy dream is that yeah. you can just show up at grab a place 10 where people, people want to see it. Yeah, yeah. And like, hey, can you 20 people sit here? I just want to run like 10 minutes of jokes. That would be heaven yeah. for everybody. Right. Oh, so any member can do that. Any member can. Uh, I think the first Only couple me- days of the week, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's a free for all. Anybody who like you just take turns doing the room. Right. And there were so many people doing that that starting I think Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe not Sunday, but there's like an iPad that you have to sign up in advance. Mm-hmm. But you just get a slot. Like you go on your computer. You go. I want these. Two slots and so you know you have two opportunities to run your stuff right now john how many times in the last year have you done that (laughs) i know i'm i know i'm wrong i know i'm not correct uh but getting back to your lecture uh why are we all terrible let's let's get into that i mean the the first part of the thesis and i do, do this all over the country where i go like is magic an art and then everybody raises their hand like yep and then i'm like what is art? And then nobody can give like a really good definition. Okay. And you're like, well, so how do you know that magic is a thing that you don't even know what it is? Right. And then the argument is that like all arts, like every other art except for magic, you come up with an idea. You're like, I want to paint the sky. And then you go out there and you're like, I'm going to figure out like, do I want to do it in watercolor? Do I want to do it in acrylic? How do what kind of blue? How do you mix the blue? What's the, what's a good technique for clouds? But it started with the idea of I'm going to paint the sky. And then you learn the technique and then you do it in magic. You like buy a thing that's like how to make a cloud and you go, I guess I'm painting the sky. Mm-hmm. So it's this backwards thing. Right. Um, and so the, the example that we've talked about before too yes. is like, because either they're performing a trick they didn't invent with a script they didn't write, um, you know, in a routine that, that they had nothing to do with. Um, they, it, they're basically cover band. There's like a Beatle cover band, but they act like they're John Lennon and the audience thinks they're John Lennon and they won't tell the audience, by the way, I'm not John Lennon. Right. But they're just doing Beatle covers. And then when you do, to follow up with that analogy, it's like you get these people that uh, aren't as good as John Lennon, you, you know, you, and you get these right. people that like have no business really being in front of an audience because they can just buy the script and they can buy the or trick. somebody who like the worst, the even worse though is the guy who can exactly replicate what the Beatles did and sound and can do imagine mm-hmm. perfectly. Like if you close your eyes, this is John Lennon, but you're just you're still a cover band. Sure, it doesn't matter that you're the best cover band in the world. Mm-hmm. You're not an artist. You're still a cover band. Not that cover band. Is, like I don't want to shit on. I'm sure if you're in a cover band, Controversial you work very hard. opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck cover band. But it's very, cover it's very different from being the act. Like, there's a difference between being the cover band of Beatles and being the Beatles. Right. And why wouldn't you want to be the Beatles? Yeah, you're Greta Van Fleet instead of Led Zeppelin. Get that reference, John? Yeah, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Greta Van Fleet is a new band right right now Okay, that sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin. Got it. And they're like 20 years old and they like... I did know. They just did SNL dude. Yeah, and they're kind of like, we like Led Zeppelin, but we're not a direct... You know, mm-hmm. but they actually sound just like them, and the guy sounds just like them. Um, but I think that well, the problem the problem as I see it is that when you have people doing that, they learn the exact script and they uh, they they do the exact trick. A lot of these people, like hobbyists who maybe don't have a lot of performing experience and aren't strong performers, do bad shows, and then people go, "Oh, that's oh magic is," and that's where magic is bad comes from is the people that have no like. There's nothing else. There's no other performing art where you can fake your talent and you can't do that in right. comedy you can't do that and singing or dancing people can tell well, people if it's are good, or good comedy well, people tra- know trape- enough about comedy trapeze you can fake it no <laughs> <laughs> but people know enough about comedy that if you're like a joke thief or if you're hacky right a regular person knows that yeah uh if you're a hacky or yeah. or stealing magician the, the average audience doesn't actually know that well what's interesting is i heard this on another podcast actually i think how it, dare you i know i'm sorry <laughs> uh, uh, and worst of all is joe rogan <laughs> I, oh, I think god seriously how uh, dare I, you? I know who, who you're not a fan of no but um i he think, fucking put alex jones on his podcast for like three hours last week oh i heard about that i heard it was like wild even though relation re- relative to a stand-up bit i think alex jones is hot Anyway, keep, keep oh, going. Do you really? <laughs> I do. We often talk about the men that Chris objectifies on this podcast. Is it uh, just his physical appearance that yeah. you're attracted to, or the general craziness? No, it's you just like his crazy? brain. No, it's just it's just. <laughs> his a lot of smart ideas. Do you like screaming? Are you into screaming? <laughs> uh, a little bit. The three, the three. I have a joke about the three guys that I'm ashamed that I'm attracted to, which are Alex Jones. Uh, Guy Fieri and Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought one of those would be like Hitler. I mean, it was a good dresser. <laughs> no, no, Hitler. I'd be okay with compared to Guy Fieri. Um, 
But yeah, every week I add another magician to the Handsome Magicians Club. Yeah. I'll have to think about what it so is. So instead of objectifying ah. or objectifying man, we have our Paul Wilson on the list. Jason Paul Wilson is number Carney. one. Yeah. Uh, really? That's interesting. Oh, yeah, he's he so has, he has a type. I mean, um, he's a good looking man. I'm not yeah. like, um, and a great magician. But like I, Channing Pollock, there are some guys who are like famously like very attractive. Nah, I'm not into any of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so uh, I don't know how we got. Oh, I, um, they were someone. I can't remember who. It might have been Hannibal that was on. Ta- this is like four years ago. And they're talking. This is when the Amy Schumer stuff. Hannibal was Burris. Uh, yeah, not um, Hannibal. Not Hannibal the magician. The magician. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, that is fair. Um, the uh, only podcast where that joke works. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hannibal Burris. Uh, and he, it was when that Schumer stuff was going on. They're debating whether or not it was actual joke theft. We don't have to get into. Amy Schumer now, but what they made an interesting point about the reason why this is such a big deal to people and the reason why these become such public stories is because there is such a trust when you see a comedian, especially a famous comedian, that you're seeing their take on the world. They're like, when you watch Bill Burr, every bit of his is so Bill Burr. It's so in his voice. You are so clearly paying and receiving his thoughts on the world, right? And then they even cited his, uh, his bit about an epidemic of gold digging whores. Really controversial routine. Um, but really just so clearly distinguished by his voice, and it's so clearly his perspective on the world. And that's what you're paying yeah. to get. So when you find – and there's this, such a trust that you're getting that authenticity in comedy. And when you find out that you've been lied to in that sense, um, that's, I think, why people freak out so much. But I think it's a difference. Like if I buy a Bill Burr – I was going to say Bill Burr CD. Who's buying a CD anymore? But when you buy the album <laughs> – My mom buys CDs. Yeah. But if you buy like – if I buy, I don't know, any, any musician CD and she didn't write all the songs – it says when you open the liner notes, it says like who wrote each song, who mixed right. the song, who produced the song, who the background vocals were. There's crediting for every single part of that song. And they're right. paying those people. And they're all getting paid yeah. a lot and, of money. And it's there's a no, major yeah, artist. And there's, and there's no, there's also less of an expectation. There's the, the base expectation for music isn't necessarily that you wrote this. Like if you're a singer, the sure. base expectation is that you're a good singer. But like the Bill Burr CD, it just tells Bill Burr on it. So you go, okay, then that means right. that Bill Burr wrote this entire thing. The, yeah. like, the only name on this is Bill Burr, so he's the only person. Mm-hmm. When I'm seeing him perform, he this is, this is all Bill Burr. Um, and when you go to a Broadway show, the reason the Playbill has a million credits because they know that you go in knowing that there are more than one person working on it. Right. Yeah. The problem with Magic is they're acting like it's stand-up where they're like, this is also all me. Right. And you're like, no, no, no. There's a litany of people who invented the tricks, who wrote those jokes, who came up with... There's so many people who worked on your stuff mm-hmm. uh, and you're not giving them any credit. You're acting like that this is all you. Now, and, and that's I why think, when I do the parlor, it's going to be one trick and then 18 minutes of just credits. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just saying all the people that contributed. No, Paul to Harris, it. like I, the one time I ever got to meet him was at a convention and we were like, I was drunk in a bar and I was like, I love you. Like, because Art of Astonishment was like my my magic mm-hmm. Bible. I just, bought it, I just bought that. Oh my God. The essay, the first essay on Art of Astonishment is like life changing about I what, what astonishment is. Uh-huh. I'll give you the cliff notes of it. It like literally changed my work. Like I gave a guest lecture at Harvard on children's literature. Mm-hmm. So I had taken the class as a freshman and I made all these kids read it um, oh. because it like changes how you, the idea is what is magic? Um, and magic is when you're a kid, everything, everything is new. So you like, like you, you find something out about the world and then you start to build up these like, file cabinets, these like boxes to like classify stuff. You're like, oh, that goes in the box of things I'm not allowed to do. That goes in the box of things that are physically impossible. This goes into the box of things that make me feel good. So you have all these boxes. You start dividing up all Because when you're a kid, everything is amazing. Like right. you ever see a kid where you're like, do bubble wrap? And they're like, holy crap. Like <laughs> They've never seen bubble wrap. It blows their mind. So then when you're an adult, a magic trick is the, uh, the one thing that you can experience that doesn't fit in any, the infinite boxes you've since built up. So for a brief moment, you're a child again. Mm. And that's what astonishment is. That's why the book is The Art of Astonishment. So his definition of astonishment is that moment where your brain is like, oh, shit, I don't have a box for this. There's no box for this. And that's very close to what your childhood brain will experience. That's beautiful. So thinking about it that way is like, whoa, this is a profound art thing that we're doing. Right. Um, So you saw him in a bar. Yes, he's someone at a bar, and he had been talking about crediting and stuff. And he's he's convinced, and I, I, I don't think he's wrong. He was like, I think magicians should start to be required, like especially at the castle, to hand out a playbook <laughs> that says, like, these are the four tricks that I'm doing. This is the person who invented it. If you didn't write any of your jokes, it should say who wrote the jokes. <laughs> and it should be like, I'm, perfor- I'm performing a play. I'm the actor performing a play. If, that's, if, you, if you're really just this cover band, then hand out a liner note that says, like, these songs are written by the Beatles. And, right. like... So that people at least understand what you're doing, what your contribution to the art is. Uh, you know, what's fun. The thing about that is, I think <laughs> that uh, will never happen. It again. will never happen. <laughs> it, never happen. <laughs> it was very hard. They're talking about a man who literally all of his belongings fit in a backpack that he carries with him. Right. 
Is that true? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Paul Harris's like house burned down, and then he's like, "It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me." And he, if he wants to add, buy an object or add an object to his life, something that has to leave the backpack because he can only bring oh what fits God. in the backpack. Right. It's amazing. However, the backpack is a change bag, so you <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> can put anything you want. <laughs> it's one of those hiking ones. It's like it's actually really small. I thought he would at least give himself like I have a very big duffel bag. It's just a standard like backpack, just a Jansport. Yeah, exactly. Where does he live? Does he live in a? He lives he in. The, he live lives anywhere. He, no, he lives in the backpack. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. he doesn't have to live anywhere. He can just like go wherever he goes. Yeah. All right. Um. So uh, th- I think that. The reason, and I don't agree with this logic at all, but the reason people will never do that is because they go, if I publish, if I say these are the effects I'll be doing this in, the, in this sort of play that I'm the performer of, people will then be able to find, research, and learn those effects, thereby reducing like the secrecy of the effects of magic. Um, but one thing I've learned getting into magic is the secrecy part is just bullshit. Like, right. yeah, it's so like oh, I, I have very, very little regard for the secrecy of magic. The secrecy part is like, I, oh, it's such a se- this is an art. It's a sacred art. Uh, however, if you give me ten dollars, I will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is, if you're a cover band and the only thing that you are doing, that's the only reason that you're being hired is because when I do the trick, people are fooled by it. You're not adding anything else to the art. You didn't bring anything new your performance isn't like affecting the person emotionally sometimes the only reason that people they're good is because they fooled them so the only thing that you have is the secret and that's why they hold on to it i think so Uh much because they have nothing like i'd like to think in my show that like the tricks are are important it's a magic show but you should still be like i'm laughing so much that's that's a com a common like almost like it, it's a, it's a weird people come up to me and they go it was so funny I didn't even care if the magic worked and part of it, I'm like but I worked really hard on that magic like I, I did care that it worked but <laughs> yeah, I cared I cared like I spent years working on this but it's I think that's a good thing in the sense that like that's how you should feel about any artist like it was so good I didn't even worry about the technique or that fooling them is great but that's not the end goal is just tricking them mm-hmm. right you want them to look at the your painting it's artistic of, your painting of the sky as opposed to being like those oh. clouds look so much like yeah. clouds. Right. If I, if I would give a, an example that we mentioned on the podcast before, is there was an act, I won't, I won't say who it was, but there was an act that basically fooled Penn and Teller a few years back that... Uh, it's Doug, Doug Henning. Yeah, it's Doug Henning. <laughs> That's the ghost of Doug Henning. They did a Tupac hologram thing. And, uh, but it was this act, and um, he did a mentalism thing, and it was an incredible method, totally fooled them, totally fooled me, but I didn't find myself being that entertained by it. I didn't really feel the need to show to any one of my mm-hmm. friends, like, oh, look at this really cool thing that I discovered. Uh, whereas, you know, like Eric Chen, when his Physism Act came out on video, I showed it to everybody I knew, because yeah. it was so incredible. Um, you know the like, classic, like, Hiding Elephants example? Like the Steinemeyer book? Yes. With the... There was two plays that debuted on the West End at the same time in the 1800s. One was by a magician, and it was like about aliens. And he spent a fortune, and there's like invisible threads all over the theater. And an alien, I mean, back in the day when there's nobody has electricity, mm-hmm. things are still by fire. Like a lit up saucer flies through the theater and lands on the stage, and you, it is a perfect illusion. It's beautiful. That's one show. And then there's this other show where there's like this guy flying around on the thickest rope you've ever seen. And it's very clear he's in a harness and he's flying around. But that show's Peter Pan. Right? <laughs> that show kicks the other show's ass because it doesn't matter. You, yes, the I don't know how the the audience didn't know how the alien saucer was flying, mm-hmm. but they didn't care. Yeah, like that's the thing is like magic is really great, but like Peter Pan works because who you want him to be able to fly. Like it, right. your heart is like I don't I I will erase the rope from my mind because I want that to be true. Yeah, and that's why. And so the secrets are. Not the most important part. Also, there's there's contexts in theater, especially where you can argue that it's good to see the rope because it sort of lets a person, especially in theater, it lets a person engage with the like, I'm also like, I'm bringing my own imagination to this. I'm sort of play, my mind is sort of play acting with you. Like when you see those, um, those Japanese, uh, theater art things where the there's a bunch of crew people oh, all in black. black yeah yeah but and oh, you yeah. know they're there like but you enjoy sort of like going making that little gap yeah those are so fun to watch that's almost more fun than seeing like a cgi whatever and, uh I, well uh, so um the, the example i was going to give uh, axel adler who uh, have you seen axel adler's act of the three legs oh no oh it's really oh yeah uh, the swedish guy um he does like the palace with uh tom stone and hakanberg he's really oh really, i love those guys uh yeah so he's really really great and he has this um act to music where he like he's he he's scooting himself out on a chair 
with his legs, and then eventually you realize he has three legs, and the whole routine is him kind of like manipulating these three legs. And I would say that it is objectively less fooling than this thing that was on than on Penn and Teller fool us. Every audience member is going to go say, okay, well, he doesn't have three legs. Yeah, he's got um, a huge dick. Right, he's got a gigantic dick. <laughs> that's what it does. I mean, that's where my mind went. Um, and, uh, that's where my mind goes. <laughs> Just um, kidding. Uh, he's not in my club. Right. Uh, <laughs> you don't think Axel Adler's... Man, we do have different tastes. No, no, no. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was... So, yeah, it's objectively less fooling because I think it's easier for an audience to trace back the method. Obviously, one of the legs is fake, and then you can sort of then piece together at what points you would need to be standing on a real leg, at what points you wouldn't. But that being said, I would still say that there's objectively a more interesting theatrical experience. It's still very magical. The, the magic is successful, and it is more interesting. I've, th- I've, I've thought about that. I've tried to find it um, in clips of it much more than I ever have this other, this other guy. Um, and I think that is something that a lot of magicians forget is that you have to really make sure that it is interesting and exciting other than just is this the the best method it could be to fool someone yeah. or like Jan Frisch who will fool the pants off of you right mm-hmm. um, but I watched him lecture and walk literally move by move and he had a story in his head of what this character is going to go through right and constantly had to invent moves just to fit the story of like oh yeah if I do this instead of this it's going to be much and it's it's perfect. It's the perfect combination of theatricality because he was like a mime and a clown right. also. Yeah. And then like, it's really fooling. And that's like that perfect magic moment where you're like, I'm a child again. I'm like, that ball was there. And now it's on the other side of the room. Like that is not possible. And it just happened. Which is why I, I've said so many times on this podcast that I love so much European magic, like from Spain and France, because it is so theatrical. I mean, there's so much mime and clowning in that act. And it is so, like, there is, uh, I, when I, when I heard him talk about it and he, uh, the the story he says is he's like this guy just trying to drink a cup of water that he can't do it and you're kind of finding him in the middle of this the middle of the story. Um, that's so interesting. I feel like you really do not see that in America as as, as often, and it's uh, it's very interesting that the way they're sort of like combining these arts to make sort of this new theatrical experience in a way that you don't really get out here uh, because yeah. people just yeah buy you know. I'm going to do his act in here in California, but start with like. As you know, in California, we have drought conditions. Yeah, yeah. And as a man trying to get a you know a long preamble, but that would be that would be the, the magicy way to do it is literally like you added the drought speech and then you just do exactly Jan Fisher's act, and I was like, wow, that's a new act. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because I mean, how many snowstorms have you seen where it's like I met a child who had never seen snow before? You know, and like they all have a different speech about someone seeing snow for the is first snowstorm, time. Is snowstorm like cards turning into like confetti? You know, you t- no, not even. You take like a, a, a wet napkin. And yeah, go, it's, it's not even. I don't dip even a napkin understand. in water yeah. and you squeeze it in your hand and you wave it with the most Chinese looking fan you can find. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, and Which then is generally the, unjustified. Like somehow right. this magician just opens up a fan and like, right. why? And then the. Right. Uh, I mean, if I did it, people are like, that fits. The music from <laughs> Edward Scissorhands uh, plays. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Where yeah. he's shaving the yeah, ice yeah. thing. And I've seen that like six times. Really? Yeah. And also, that trick is also annoying because it's a mess. Yes. Like anytime you have to follow. I think I just storm. don't. I think I don't go to the castle enough because I haven't. I haven't seen that many of the same effects. Oh, I've, you will. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I experience is when I, mean, I, there, there, I feel like there's a. I mean, we've gone and I feel like I've seen multiple card wallets. In yeah. The same evening. I guess so. Um, I went to the Chicago Magic Lounge. Have you done that? I haven't done that one yet. Oh, it's great. Um, but I I found out oh, right. through a side thing. This is a sad story. That um, one of, two of the performers in the main show were going to do color match. So one of them had to drop it from his. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that's that's that also never happens in stand-up. Or, or no, if it does, I mean, it's rarely. It's like, I'm going to do jokes about Trump. You have to put yours to the side. Right. The only thing that... The, that happens on magic shows all the time. There's yeah. so many fights of like, oh, you're doing... Because sometimes it's not even So do you get together and effect. go like, what are the things you're doing tonight? You have to. If yeah, you're a you, professional absolutely. and you're doing a show with like... There's so many times where you do like a gala at a convention especially. Yeah. Or like Monday Night Magic even when there's three magicians plus the host plus close up. You have to be like... And there's a pecking order. Like the headliner picks his tricks first. Right. And then you can't overlap with him. And then... You know, so like if you're doing a thing where you're tearing up a piece of paper and then restoring it, you don't want another guy to do tearing up money and restoring it. And then right. the other guy tears up a newspaper and restores it. Because right. <laughs> it, it's even though it's slightly different, it's the same effect. We should start that in stand up shows. Be like, tell me all the jokes you're going to tell tonight. Mm-hmm. I thought with sound effect, guys, it, 
killed me. I was on the show with two sound effect guys. <laughs> oh and they had to divvy it up. I swear to God, he goes, all right, I'm going to do electric guitar. I, like, well, I do a really good electric guitar. Is this like, like all right, um, fine, I'll do electric guitar. The guy from Police Academy exactly. style? Exactly. Oh. Like it wasn't that guy, but like that. Right. Michael Winslow. Gen- genre. Uh, but the guy goes, I'm going to do beach. And he's like, ah, I should do beach. He's like, okay, you can do electric guitar. I'll do beach because I put a flashlight on my head and it's a lighthouse. And he's like, that's a good touch. And it was like literally <laughs> them dividing up the classic. This, this should be a web series. Have you, there is a Key and Peele sketch with Bobby McFerrin and Michael Winslow um, doing the Mouth Sounds tour. And uh, <laughs> Michael Winslow is killing and Bobby McFerrin, no one cares about it. And they have a sound effects battle backstage. <laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> um, I think something that is interesting, though, is that you don't necessarily, I think, have to be doing original m- magic so long as the presentation of it is original. Right. Uh, for instance, well, so to, to, sorry. No, oh, no, go ahead. But because I, I saw the book and it all connected, but I did Colin's, uh, Colin, uh, the Abbott's magical get together, which you okay. have to go to is hmm. a mind blowing thing. Never been. I've heard it's, it's great. the magic capital of the world. It's in the middle of nowhere, basically in Michigan, Colin, Michigan. It's a town that Blackstone basically built up because he wanted to rest there for the summer and every street's named after magicians. <laughs> I just, he goes into a dark room and just like, well, no, met, it was, at that point, the summers you can't perform. There's no air conditioning. So you have to, <laughs> oh, you have to, your show goes down in the summer mm. and you just like find a lake house and you like relax and work on your show until it gets cooler and you can, oh, you, a, a you lot of, mazel uh, it. Exactly. <laughs> you just go sit by the lake. A lot yeah. of assistants in the sixties died from heat exhaustion yeah. in those boxes. <laughs> just stuck in a box. <laughs> right. Oh God. Yeah, it was a really dark time. Every time an assistant was produced, she was like covered and just like sweat and like it would be amazing <laughs> but uh, I it was my first time at Colin I wanted to kill it I wanted to just do my, my stuff like do the act and I opened with a newspaper thing it's it's not a full on newspaper table, that was but the example I was going to give actually oh uh, there you go because uh, everybody has a newspaper you, thing you do what I believe is a marketed newspaper tear but in an original way that is built off of like your original stand up and that makes it an original presentation yeah yeah some, uh, a lot of the techniques are from yeah or mm-hmm. yeah there's this item um, mm-hmm. but the Gene Anderson is on the show. Gene Anderson, the inventor of the newspaper tear, right. the guy who wrote that book. Um, Gene, although nobody can see Gene the book. Ander- Gene Anderson, the book. Huh? Yeah. But so Gene is presenting the newspaper tear. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to ask him to take it out of his act, <laughs> even though I'm the headliner. <laughs> he probably would. He's the sweetest. He is, and that's the thing is he would, but it's it's freaking Gene <laughs> right. Anderson. Absolutely. People, are, people need to see Gene do the Gene Anderson paper tear. Of course. And I'm not immediately following him. So I was like, and that was the whole, like, I literally go, you know what? I, got, I borrowed a copy of the book and I started doing the trick. And then I literally re- re- leaned over, grabbed the book and like very visibly like thumb through it as like a nozzle. Like, I know, uh-huh. I, I know you've already seen Gene do it. Put the book down. Oh, so you still did the routine. And I still did it. And it ended up being really good, I think, because it was able, you were able, because my routine is so me. Right. That it didn't matter that they were seeing this. It was a magic convention. So they're okay with seeing a trick more than once. Yeah. But I think most people came up and they were like, we're really glad you did that because it was really interesting to see how different those effects were because they were presenting on to- totally different ways. Also in the middle of it, you said, I'm not gay. Yeah. Oh, just <laughs> just in the, before you restored the newspaper. Yeah, they're like, that was really weird for him to insert <laughs> that there. Uh, I just have to pepper that in. Um, this misdirection. Right. <laughs> I actually have a question for you about a joke um, in that routine yes. that I think is really, really clever because I, I, I love routines. I, I love when you can have a moment where the, the performer is ahead of the audience in a very entertaining way would you like, say want ahead oh <laughs> get out of my own but um like where the magician does something the audience collectively reacts a certain way and the magician is able to then anticipate that and has a great moment where they've anticipated whatever that reaction is in a very orga- sometimes it's forced but in a very organic way what i'm referring to is you have a joke where you you're going through slips of newspaper doing stories about the news and one of them you go oh that's too dark i'm not gonna do it Inevitably, the entire audience, you know, screams at you to do the joke. Like, okay, fine. And eventually, you give in. You do the joke, and then they all pull back because it's so dark. And then you rail on them. You're like, I didn't even want to do the joke. Ah. <laughs> you made me. And it's such. And then that gets a huge laugh. Um, I, tell me about the construction of that because I think that is such a clever moment where at every step of that, you're like a little bit ahead of them, and they feel it's organic and it feels natural. Oh yeah, feel it's a, and it's a trap. <laughs> right, it's, a, it's such a They're natural into a trap. And I, I would say maybe the first three times I saw your act, I kept forgetting about it because that's how natural like and fluid it was. And I was like, ah, no, you gotta do the joke, do the joke. And then when you get to the punchline of like, I don't even want to do this joke, you have to laugh now. Basically, um, uh, that is I, I, I'm not gonna, I don't know the exact punchline, but that's sort of the the the, the gist of it, right? Is that you? Yeah. So um, basically, it, so I I was doing just a regular tear. It was like 
piece of newspaper, piece of newspaper, boom, full newspaper, end of trick. Right. And then that updated version came out where there was a hole. So there's like you, a piece is not, you drop a piece by accident and you're as you're doing it. And then when you restore it, there's a hole. Then you pick up the piece and you wave your hand over it and you fix the newspaper. And I was like, mm. that, that felt a lot better for like what I was trying to do. Cause the whole, the whole show, I, I'm trying to break down all the things that are like stereotypical about magic. And one of the main things that I wanted to hit was this idea of like, uh, you thought I made a mistake, but I didn't make a mistake. Like, mm-hmm. oh no, not it, oh no. Right. And every trick in my show has that. And even though I've set up at the very beginning, like every trick in magic is, oh no, not it, oh no, magic is stupid. Right. And I'm going to keep doing that. So I, I wanted that mistake, not a mistake moment. So I'm like, perfect, whole, got it. And originally when I was restoring it, I had it so that that piece would, fall, like as I was doing the restoration, that's the one piece that would fall down or like flutter down and I wouldn't notice it. And then... I would open it, there'd be a hole. The audience would see the piece flutter and be like, oh, he screwed up. And then I would open it, they would see the hole, and then I would be way ahead of them and fix it. Mm. And when I did it, it lost, they got, there was no reaction to the restoration because all they could focus on was the mistake. They're so like, oh, no, we just watched the magician screw up. Uh-huh. So there was nothing. It was just silence. So I was like, okay, I have to very, I have to put the piece away and then kind of get them to forget about it. But I have to very, I have to actually take the piece and, and place it somewhere oh, else. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, and at the same time, I was doing that Superman joke, which I love. And fifty percent of the time, it was too dark for the audience. Would you do the? Would you say what the joke is? Oh yeah, the, the joke is does, that there was a there was a uh, Superman ride uh, at Six Flags where they like strap you and they click you and you're seated. And then they tilt you under the track, and a woman fell out of the restraints and she died, which is awful. But like, let's admit her last ten seconds were spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> and she had her eyes closed. She's like, "Oh my god, it does feel like I'm flying. <laughs> I feel like Superman." <laughs> and then the other tag is like you can figure out what you would how what kind of person you are like what would you do if you were on the ride with her because she was next to somebody right like, and I was like I would probably scream and cry and buy the souvenir photo that would be the plan. <laughs> so it's a dark it's joke really but dark. Was, and then people do as you predicted they would as you tell them they will they do pull back and there is a, a dark moment yeah so basically what I what I needed to do is like I need to figure out how I can get this piece done and I realized it was just it, from doing the trick so many times. Like as soon as I put the piece down, because I knew that from other tricks. When you tell them, "Now nah, I'm not going to do it," there's somebody in the audience who's like, "Do it!" All right. Right, right, right. So I put I would put it down. Like this is too dark, and that, it's funny because sometimes you can't come up with a good excuse for why it's too dark. Like when it's at the castle at seven fifteen, <laughs> you can be like, oh, "This is too dark for the early show." Right. That's great. Or this is too dark. There are kids in the audience. There's so many ways, but once in a while, you're like on a midnight uncensored show, and they're like. No, no, that's why we're here. Like, don't put that piece down. <laughs> so you have to come up with an excuse, right? This is too dark. And then somebody goes, do it. And I'm like, all right, I mean, I guess. And then you do it. And my hope, sincerely, every time, is that they're just going to laugh so much that I don't have to use that joke. The second part. The second yeah, part. Yeah. But more often than not, it, it's dark enough that somebody is going to moan or Or react. one night, you're going to be like, it's too dark for me to do this joke. And the audience is just like, mm-hmm. That's happened. <laughs> oh, really? Where they're, they're, really like, really everyone's pretty tired. Like, okay, no, no. Because I'll say like, oh, this is probably not appropriate for the kids. So the audience is like, okay, good. Then don't do it. Please don't do it. <laughs> and so then I'm like, I mean, I guess I could. And then you're like, y'all seen Leaving Neverland? <laughs> <laughs> and then I just play the whole documentary. Right. It's anyway, a really weird. Uh, the newspaper's back together. Yeah. It's a five hour act. Four hours of it is the Michael Jackson documentary. Yeah. But so like that, that piece. Yeah. So then you have to goose them and be like, nah, I mean, I guess I could do it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and you like, and they're like, no, no. I, I mean, all right, okay. This guy really wants me to do it. Right. <laughs> Who are you pointing? Are you pointing? You said no. Put it to a random person. Like, I don't want to be part of just this. Just like an empty chair. Like, right. yeah, this person wanted me to. Exactly. So then, yeah, and that that moment is one of those moments where you discover it and you realize that's funnier than the joke of like, make if they don't laugh, it's funnier. <laughs> Right. Which is a crazy thing, but it's so much more funny for some of the audience to not react to that joke, and then for me to get mad and go, "No, I didn't even want to do that joke. Right. You made me do it." Yeah, I basically set myself up for a win-win, where if the joke kills, it killed, and if it doesn't, it still kills because I have the the bit. Right. And I just think that's such clever construction to, and it has a functional that. use in the trick too. Right. right. It has every part of it. Yeah. It's so functional. then I'm it laughing at this other joke. I'm, I'm laughing at this joke, and then you do well. The beauty, the of regular it, restore. The, the the reason that I, I it, it stays in the act is that it the newspaper goes on the stool, which is horizontal. So you see me very clearly put it down, but most of the audience can't see it from that point forward. They know it's there, but it's not like staring not like them in, in the face. face. Yeah. Uh-huh. So then I put that away. They kind of forget about it. I do one more joke, and then the newspaper is restored. And so by the time they see the whole, some of the people don't remember that piece, or they're not thinking. They're just thinking like, oh, and then I look, and then they all catch up with uh-huh. me at the same time. They go, 
That's right. There's a piece that's missing. He never put it in. So that brought back a reaction when you do the restore. Yeah. So now when I restore it, they're like, there's an instant applause break. He restored it. Because you also see the back of it. You don't know there's a hole yet. Right. So it's restore. Look at these pages. Look at these pages. Oh, shit. There's a hole. Right. Now it's like reaction. Oh, no. Reaction. And then through the hole, you project leaving Neverland. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just over my face. Right. It's going the entire time. Um, I think uh, something I do want to ask you about, and that's something I've been thinking a lot about recently, is... Um, How to put together an hour-long parlor show. Yeah. Uh, that is something... Uh, so I think it sounds... Are we confirmed? Uh, I emailed... So the current thing is we got an offer to, for John to do a Edinburgh Fringe show. Amazing. But the venue it. is not conducive to close-up. Which is like my whole... Or to, so to, to a to, table show. The, the, well, how many the, seats is it? 65. So yeah, so it's really just it's the 60, parlor. Yeah, it's basically just the parlor. And then the other theaters we were looking at, uh, the spaces were like maybe 40 seat. But they're uh, all but they, flat. They're all flat. <clears throat> there's, there's no way to rake any of the seats. Right. Um, that is one thing. Yeah, is that so I, I have to basically sort of invent a parlor show because all the parlor material that I have, I don't really do because I don't have enough of an interesting take on it to make it feel original, mm. justifying me doing it. You can it. scale up close up. As long as the trick is not like, here's this dime, like the, the Steve Martin joke, I'm going to change the date on a dime. <laughs> like, <laughs> unless that is the bit. Right. Uh, which is because he did it in Madison Square Garden and that mm. was the joke is nobody can see it. Right. Um, <laughs> but like, it's sometimes it's just about like, if the presentation and the hook is really good, as long as there are people to verify that things have happened. Mm-hmm. The rest of the audience is like, I enjoyed the journey and I'm going to trust that that sure. card did change. You don't want to short sell them where you're like, look at this visual mo- move and only the first row can see the visual thing. Right. Yeah. But like for a mentalism trick, mentalism plays so big because it's like, uh, I've seen it where it's a giant theater and they're like, uh, what's the number? And you go, and what is written on the back of this tiny index card? Right. 43. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. 43, 43, 43. And then I was like, wow, I, I'm going to assume that is correct. Uh, yeah. An interesting tidbit I got um, from uh, uh, watching Juan Tomarez give a lecture. And I think Danny D'Artiz does the same thing. He goes, uh, he was talking about doing magic on TV just a little bit. Someone asked him that question. And like, what are the differences? Because now that is so big and he was doing that in like the 80s um, before it was as huge as it is now. Um, is that's uh, His philosophy is you bring as many people people from the audience to sit like around you as possible mm. like, like 30, behind 30 people yeah uh, so like he'll be sitting behind a table and he'll sell have, them for extra money yeah. <laughs> um, and he'll have like four or five people sort of on each side of him all watching and he goes that way the camera can see all of their reactions in real time yeah, um, and it verifies like, oh. for the rest of the audience like things are happening right so that you as that's why you bring so many people up you watching on tv can't see the audience enjoying it maybe you even can't hear them that well but you can really see genuine reactions on the faces of all the people next to the magic as it happens which gives it some sort of authenticity uh, which i think is um uh, to that point i distracted you though what were you going to ask Harrison oh i originally? um i'm interested in the idea of a herd mentality of a crowd the way that uh an energy of a crowd of is never split down the middle. I've never had. I, I feel like I never have a show where I'm fucking killing that one half, and and the other half is just bored and there's no energy. I've never and, and I, I feel like if there's a couple people that are really bored and negative and uninterested, it infects the entire crowd, um, and vice versa. Like I, I like it's just fascinating that there's always can. I feel like there's almost always consistency of some kind in the room uh, across the whole audience. Because uh, the yeah, audience we, becomes one. The entity. audience becomes one entity. Well, you're and pushing. I'm, you're pushing like a. You're pushing a, a a car either up a hill, and sometimes it's only up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like you have to push it up a little bit, and then it's going to be downhill the whole time, and like in a good way, like it's just going to speed right. and just pick up momentum. It's all that. It's all momentum. Yeah, and well, I would say, why are you pushing me, a car? Get on a skateboard. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> What's interesting to me though is that I. It's never, ever, ever half and half. It's never 37, you know, it's, it's, it's. Do you think 3070 is half and half, John? I said half and half or 30. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I mean, that's, check. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to mass check my own, my own. Um, I mean, here. you're not East Asian, so. Right. Um, <laughs> I wonder if it's a function. Is that how you got that? You were fast on yeah. that check. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I was instantly like 3070, that's not half. Um, I wonder if it's a function also of most of your shows have been like in the close up gallery. Like because it's such oh, it's twenty people. Where it's such a, it's probably easier. To I, get I mean, I do a lot of, I, I do a lot of close, <clears> like <throat> even outside the close up gallery, a lot of like close up shows. Yeah, if twenty people hate you in a room with twenty people, that's bad. But if twenty people hate you in a room of a thousand people, you won't even notice. That's in. So, so I feel like in a stand up show, there are cases where you are killing with mm-hmm. parts of the crowd, and there's some people that just hate you, and you make eye contact with those people well, all the time no, for some reason. I, I, I mean, that is definitely true. I mean, you're you talked about this on Let's Talk About Sets, but that whole. Uh, 
the those Trump supporters at that show in New Jersey. Was oh a big, yeah, uh, example of that. Um, yeah, that was. I mean, from what I heard you say, that is a, an example where there were like seven hundred people and. About six hundred of them were on your side through most of that, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. But the, uh, and the people that weren't were very vocal, right? Uh, you can find this on YouTube, I believe, right? Yeah, like yeah. It's me against these Trump supporters. Uh, how, what will people search to find that? Just if you go to my YouTube channel, it's like youtubecom Standups more are more often going to like talk to a person that isn't enjoying their show. And I don't think I've seen a magician do that. <laughs> they don't, like they, where they don't they're have like, the "Well, you fucking hate this show, don't you?" <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that's it. that's the weird difference. Is like in stand up, it's all about like your pov and like your persona and like it's you know we were talking about this earlier like about how come there's no political magicians there's a lot of political comedians Mm -hmm. you don't see political magicians you don't see like you don't really get to there's so many acts where you don't even know who that person is at the end of the act sure who are you like what i want to know things about you like Mm -hmm. do you have a family do you where do you live like what do you believe and like working that in and that's part of like winning over the audience is like you're trying to build up a relationship and some people are going to love you immediately and some people are going to be like a lot of work. Right. And there is that like it's just like this weird chemistry of like trying to balance like even last night there was a person who was kind of like I walked out and during my first joke she was talking loudly like making comments about that joke to the person next to her. And it was bizarre. And it was like this weird thing where like I kind of hit her like not physical. Oh God. Um, <laughs> verbally, verbally was like, gave her like a, a hip check of like, what are you doing? Like, right. yeah, but it's the beginning of the show. So I haven't even gotten through my first joke. So I haven't established my relationship yet. Right. Right. So riskier than it would be. <laughs> it's a huge <laughs> risk. You don't want to come out and be like, Oh man, this guy really goes at the audience right, right. from the top. Right away. <laughs> and also, especially if the rest of the lines didn't even hear her. Cause sometimes that's a yeah, thing, especially that's in a, a big problem. theater in right. the parlor. They can, but in a big theater, if people are chatting in the front, the rest of the audience doesn't even know. So you're attacking somebody for no reason. That was something right. I mentioned to John, uh, not this last time, but I think uh, six months ago when you did close up room where you made a joke because Jack was in the room or something. Right. And I was like, you should probably cut that. Cause like the audience doesn't know who Jack Goldfinger is. You're correct. <laughs> right. Yes. To, to be fair though, and that was in the close up gallery and he was standing. And yeah. so like everybody could see this tall, interesting looking black guy clapping what I was doing before trick and start. I basically brought in a, a new, a, introducing new material that I was nervous about. And it was like my first show that week. And the moment he saw me bring out the props, he like started laughing, kind of like clapped because like, oh, this is gonna be. I just did a matrix and I swapped them out for see through cards. Gotcha. So I'm gonna do a, a, So he was excited to see. He was that. excited to see like a different take on this. Sure. And so that gave me such a flow of relief that I like made a joke and commented on it. Like, <laughs> cool. He's my boss is happy. Awesome or something like right, that. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, and I could feel the crowd just being, huh? Right. He has a <laughs> boss. Is this like a McDonald's? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're correct. I, you're yeah. correct. Um. And that is, I mean, to your point, I think that is something that I think a lot of magicians don't do is a lot of them aren't super authentic with who they are. And that was anytime I... Where, when you see stand-up, you, you often, whether it's true or not, oh, you're, you're like, I feel like I know that person. And in yeah. fact, I would say when you don't feel like you knew them, even if their jokes were decent, that is when the uh, biggest, like, that, that's when people tend to not like those comedians. Even if the jokes were funny, they don't or they'll, know them. Or they'll feel the equivalent of like, you know, the, it was pretty funny, but like, it's forgettable. If I may... Yeah. Uh, on brand to drop a reference to a show that I know neither of you give a shit about, uh, oh. Crashing. Uh, no, home. I watched Crashing. That's oh, right, you, 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 yeah. you like it. Oh, I've seen the first season. Um, there's, so uh, <laughs> there's this one, there's an episode where Pete brings his very conservative religious parents to, like his comedy show and they show up and he's really nervous and he does his like goofy white guy jokes because he's still like grinding it out. And then uh, right before he goes on, this uh, comic goes on who's like super, super dirty and it's all just this disgusting sex stuff all about like the difficulties of like having sex and then at the end, uh, he was like, Mom, I'm sorry that guy was so dirty. And then she basically started grilling Pete on his act, being like, I just, like, I didn't get, like, I didn't get what you were saying, really. He's like, that guy, I got it. Sex is hard sometimes. Like, it was kind of <laughs> dirty, but I got what he was saying. Like, I didn't really get what you were going for. Yeah. <laughs> like, and and I got- she was like, I don't really see you up there or something right. like that. Right, yeah. you know. Um, so, and then that got into sort of a darker place of, like, why are you doing this? But, but it was sort of the, uh, and he talked about that on his podcast, writing about, like, the, the comedian that was more authentic and had a more cl- a clearer point of view, as dirty as that was, still kind of resonated a little bit more with his audience. Yeah. Uh, we're at an hour. We should probably... By the way, I bought this new timer and didn't turn it on. Oh, right. Oh. Great. Uh, but we should wrap it up because we got... Oh, right. We got... Um, we got to escape. To, yeah. yeah, we have a cannibal. <laughs> we're going to, to an escape support. room. Um, Harrison, how can people like follow you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Harrison Comedy. Uh, my website's HarrisonGreenbaum.com, and my magic website is HarrisonMagic.com. Although I'm, that's that's part of my sort of internal struggle of uh, 
stand up comic and magicians. Yeah. Like, do you blend them to, together? And how do you, do you keep them separate? Right. So I am in the process of sort of interweaving them. You're pretty technologically savvy, right? I, yeah, I did. I've been doing my own website since the beginning. How many email addresses do you have? Um, I don't have. I don't really only because I have one. like eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple that all redirect basically to the same place. Okay, yeah, because I started doing like you know I would have different i'm talking to you the way you're it's getting like separated out sure i would have emails like along those lines as well oh, so you knew which is coming in for magic and which yeah, is coming yeah, in for yeah. comedy yeah i mean not for magic but i mean it was for gay hookups but <laughs> similar segmentation uh you know this is before i was married go download cucumber yeah it gets to go to cucumber go, cucumber app. sometimes it's cucumber sometimes it's zucchini uh but but the we'll follow you on uh, and are you touring? Or? Yeah, touring all over the place. Right, you're um, around my, a lot. My show is called Harrison Rebound, What Just Happened. And, and that's, that is a magic show, is that right? That is a, a magic and comedy show. That's been also branding it, calling it a comedy plus magic show. Because mm-hmm. I feel like you always see a comedy magic show and it's really just magic with like stock lines thrown in. Mm-hmm. This is like a, this is real stand up and real magic, like combined, like you're getting original of magic and comedy right. together. Um, and I've been touring that from like doing small theaters and trying to work to bigger and bigger theaters. And that... That's another website, whatjusthappenshow.com. But they're all, they're all going to, if you go to harrisongram.com, you can get to everything they, from there. All these sites just go to Jeff McBride's yeah. website. Yeah, I think exactly. It, uh, and it's pretty incredible. <laughs> that, that show, I believe, is sold out a couple times at the Comedy Cellar in New York, right? It's the first ever magic show at a bunch of comedy venues. And I, and I wanted to be like, this show is funny enough that all these comedy venues that would never even entertain magic right. have put their sort of stamp of approval. So it's the first ever UCB magic show at UCB New York. Uh, Comedy Cellar and the uh, National Comedy Center in Jamestown. Um, and I think that is a huge step in like making these places a little more receptive to magic if it's good. So I applaud you for uh, yeah. And for, then hopefully there's a, a for doing gen- that. other magicians who can follow behind right. who are not like, just going to take come into those slots and just do their shit. Yeah, other people's shit. Right. I mean, I'm doing a show called uh, Chris Grace. Tell me what was the thing that just occurred. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is that that's cool? good? We, we're gonna I like that. that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Uh, Harrison, thanks so much for being on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. It was this was awesome. great. Yeah, next time you're in town, please do it again. It'd be my pleasure. Yeah. We'll see. In, John, any final thoughts? No, that was... Uh... The Spanish music is fading up. Oh, right I now. will. I would like to give credit. Um, oh. Uh, that, yeah, this is... Uh, uh, if you enjoy the Spanish music, um, this is my dad playing. Um, I, I recorded my father playing guitar. Uh, What's your father's name? My father's name is Frank Ricardo. And he also teaches guitar. Yeah, my, my father's been a professional guitarist his entire adult life. He played for uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, for the last 10 years of his career. Sammy Davis Jr.'s guitar player. That's how my parents met. She was playing violin for uh, Liza Minnelli in an orchestra. Um, so my dad, like, traveled around the world with Sammy Davis Jr. for 10 years. And so, uh, incredible guitar Show player. business is in your blood. In my blood. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, well, yeah. Thank, thanks so much for the music, Spanish, Mr. Ricardo. Uh, Spanish guitar. And thank you, Dad. We'll see you next time.